This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Anybody remember what we've been talking about? You say no? No? Oh, knowing. Okay, gotcha there. Knowing God's voice. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, <coughs> excuse me, this is in the New King James, and it says here, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak <coughs> a word in season to him who is weary. Do we live in a world where there's a lot of people who are weary? Do you ever get weary? I might be a little weary up here today. It's third service, you know. But he said, Isaiah said, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. And listen to this next part. He, he wakens me morning by morning. God ever wake you up in the morning? Now, some of you are going, I just can't get to sleep. I just keep woke woke up. I don't know what's wrong. I got to take some pills or something or another. And God's going, I woke you up for a reason. Don't you take that pill. You know, I got a reason for you to be awake. Because God often finds that's the only time when we can be still and quiet. (laughs) And he tries to speak to us oftentimes. But he says, he wakens he awakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear. He, he wakens my ear so I can hear his voice. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. He's opened my ear so I can recognize his voice. And he often does that in the morning. Because that's when it's quiet, you know. And I was not rebellious. I didn't resist it. I didn't kick against it. Nor did I turn away from it, you know. We have a sense of purpose. God's trying to say something to many of us right now. I'd say all of us. But are we in a position to hear what he's saying to us? Do we recognize his voice? And then in Psalms 85... Verse 8, it says, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. Is that a description of you? I'm listening carefully to what the Lord God is saying. I, I make time. Do you ever have a, what we would call a quiet time? It's a term that we use when I first thought, became a follower of Christ, just to have a, a time early in the morning sometime or somewhere sometime where it was just quiet. You, you ever had a quiet time? You you know what happens in a real genuine quiet time? Transformation. You know, caterpillars have a quiet time. They got this little closet, this little brown thing. They hang it on a limb of a tree, crawl into it, you know. And when they come out, they're the most beautiful transformation has taken place in their life. And we call it a butterfly. An old sow bear, she goes into hibernation, has that quiet time during the winter, 
And often, and I've actually seen this right here in Connecticut, one of these old bears comes out of their, their cave of hibernation, got four little black cubs following her along. There's fruitfulness in that quiet time. But what about you and I? Do we have a quiet time? Let me see. I can't really see. Emil, is that you? Yeah. That is you. Okay. You couldn't hear me. Well, see, the Bible says that God speaks to us in a still, small voice. It's the same, exact same word is that God speaks to us in a whisper. But although I was whispering to Emil, he couldn't hear me. How come? We're too far away. And if God speaks to us in a still, small voice, if God speaks to us in a whisper, often we don't recognize his voice because we don't get close enough to him to hear what he's saying. Thank you, Emil. How close are you to God? Do you have a quiet time? Or it is quiet? This world, as far as I'm concerned, this world is extremely noisy. Have y'all noticed that? Even when it gets quiet, it's still noisy, you know. Really is, and we got to really fight to have some quiet time and to hear that still small voice. <clears throat> Anyhow, let me read you that verse that we were just quoting, and it's found in Psalms 46, verse 10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. He said, If you want to know that I am God, if you want me to reveal myself to you, be still, be quiet. And know that I am God. This is where we learn to recognize his voice when he's whispering to us. And and we're communicating with him and he's whispering back to us. He says, be still and know that I am God. Do we make time? Are we just busy, always moving too far away to hear what God's saying to us? Too noisy to hear what he's saying to us? Well, I like this, trans, uh, this verse in another translation. It just blows your socks off as far as I'm concerned. Psalms 46, verse 10, in the message it says, Step out of the traffic. Y'all familiar with traffic? How many of y'all really love traffic? Three services. Not one hand was raised, and any time I ask that, because I was going to ask God to send all the traffic to whoever raised their hand. <laughs> Nobody really likes a lot of traffic, you know. Maybe a traffic cop, I'm not sure, you know. But it says here, step out of the traffic. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics. Well, he knows what he's talking about here. Above everything. Everything, 100% above everything else. And he says, above politics. Now, you know, last few weeks when they had all this impeachment stuff going on here and there and all around, uh, and, and I'm just praying for our, our government, for our leaders and all, and I'm trying to figure out what's really going on here. And uh, what I did, I, I spent a little bit of time, got online and was following all this politics stuff. But if you invest in an hour 
you pretty much know what's going on, you know. And I invested a lot more time there, and it's just like, I need to get out of all that, you know. I really do. I, I support uh, the leaders of our land. I pray for them, and, and the Bible says that he doesn't allow, there's not a leader we have unless he allowed him into position and all that, but we don't need to just be caught up in following every little detail after detail after detail after detail. All of that kinds of stuff is all out, out there. But listen to what it says here. It says, Step out of the traffic. Step out of the traffic, you know. Just put your car in park, you know, on the side of the road. Step out of the traffic. Go up on the top of the mountain or something other. He says, step out of the traffic and take a long, God's saying, take a long, loving look at me, your high God. Above all the politics, the political stuff, above everything else that could make you concerned or fearful or frightened or doubtful or nervous. Just get above it all and just take a long, loving look at me. But he said, get out of the traffic. You, you cannot hear the voice of God and watch a movie and listen to a radio and have kids fighting with each other and the dogs and cats are fighting and the neighbor's shooting firecrackers in the yard. You can't hear the voice of God with all that kinds of commotion going on. You just can't, you know. We need to get still. We need to get, because God speaks to us in a whisper. <clears throat> it's just practical kinds of stuff. Job chapter 33, verse 14 says, but God speaks once in your life, and it's over with. Is that what it says? No, I'm teasing you. It says, but God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. And the problem isn't that God's not speaking. The problem is that people don't recognize his voice. Maybe they're not close enough. Maybe they're just in the midst of so much mumble jumble all the time. I know people who don't watch TV, but they leave it on 24-7 so there's noise in the house. And we need sometimes to have some quiet so we can hear what God is saying to us. Now, back in the 60s, I don't know if you remember back in the 60s or not, but I, I started uh, first grade in the 60s, 61 back then, and I remember uh, a theme that was running. I remember seeing it on our television. We had a little black and white television, you know, and on this uh, television screen, somebody come walking across the screen there, they had a sign in their hand, and they drove the sign post down into the ground and then walked off of the TV screen, and there's a sign that said, God is dead. I remember that as a child. I saw that, you know? And it's just like, what is, what is all this about? And then at the bottom of the screen, something sprouted. And there's a little plant begin to wind its way around the the stake that was holding up the sign, and it grew around it, and it began to flourish, kind of like a wreath around God is dead, and it continued to grow in the, the bottom, and when it stopped growing, it just says, God is. And I like that. And I remember at, at that time, a bunch of reporters asked for an interview up in the North Carolina mountains where uh, Billy Graham lived, and they asked to interview him because this scene that was being promoted everywhere at that time is God was dead. And they interviewed him and said, Dr. Graham, is God dead? And he chuckled at them and says, absolutely not. We were just talking a few minutes ago. 
Now, some say he's dead because they don't recognize his voice. But those who recognize his voice go, what are you talking about? He's dead. We've been communicating, you know. And I'm telling you, you know, it's really not so strange that God talks to us because he, he does it all the time. He's promised to do that. John chapter 18, verse uh, 37 says, I came to bring truth to the world. That's Jesus talking. I came to bring truth to the world and all who love the truth, all who love the truth, and I can say one word that I heard more than any other word during all the political mumbo jumbo that went on a little while ago as everybody's trying to impeach everybody else, you know, is liar. Liar, 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 your pants on fire, liar, liar, you're a liar, he's a liar, she's a liar, we're all liars. And this is addressed at our political system. Don't give us really much hope, does it? You know, I'm glad we got Jesus, you know. Anyhow, it says, I came, Jesus said, I came to bring truth <clears throat> to the world. And all who love truth recognize what I say. You'll recognize my voice. And all who love the truth will recognize what I say is true. And the most <clears throat> common way that God speaks to us, he speaks to us through impressions. He speaks to us in dreams. He awakens us. You know, there's some people who've heard audible voices of God, but most often God speaks to us through a scripture. And sometimes you just kind of read it and just go on by. And then sometimes it's just like, nah, it just comes off the page at you. You know, it's just like God captivated us, captivated our attention, you know. So that's the most common way that God speaks to us is through email and through text and, and things like that. Uh, That's good. <clears throat> mm. I wonder if I broke something in there. Oh. Hmm. I wear a hat when I'm welcoming people in, so I have to always have my little brush with me there. <laughs> you guys don't wear deodorant? Everybody does it different, I suppose. Oh, okay. I wonder if other pastors have all their people laughing at them all the time, making fun of them and stuff like that, trying to hurt their feelings. Oh, man, I don't have enough time to eat that whole thing. Is this gluten-free bread? It is. Oh, I saw it. Got mayonnaise all over it. There's a napkin in there. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. I don't have time to eat the whole thing. And I'm sorry I don't have enough to share either. Mmm. That's good. 
Just got mayonnaise all over now, don't I? Cut a few more scriptures out. I could probably eat most of it. Wow. Pretty good. Does anybody know why I'm doing this? Because I forgot. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Since you packed it for me, dear, I'll use it right. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It says, yes. He humbled you while the men and women were wandering in the wilderness when they got out of Egypt, heading toward the promised land. Yes, he humbled you By letting you go hungry. You ever been hungry? I'm not talking about my tummy is growling just a little bit. I like to put something in there. You know, it'd be fun to eat something right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You know what? He says, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then feeding you with manna. You know what manna was? And you know what manna means? The word manna itself, it means, what is it? Because that's what they said. They said, manna, what is it? And that became his name. Would you like some what is it, you know? Honey, would you make me a nice bowl of what is it today? But that's what manna means, what is it? And he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors, and he did it to teach you that people need more, much more. People need more than bread for their life. Now, that piece of sandwich was pretty good, and I got three more pieces left, but I'm, I'm, I'm still hungry after I ate that little one. And I've, I've done this before. No matter how many sandwiches I eat, I still have to eat something again. I took Susan out. I mean, I did a real noble thing on Valentine's Day and took her out somewhere really nice and we had a really nice meal together and I was stuffed, you know. I really was. It was I thought we would never have to eat the rest of our life because it was so good. <laughs> I was hungry the time I got home. You know what I'm saying? It, it wasn't the end of all things, just eating what we had to eat. And he says here, I can find myself again here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he says... He did this to teach you that people need more than bread for their life. Real life comes by feeding on every word of the Lord. Real life comes by not what you eat, not what restaurant you go to, not not what the diet that you have, but real life. You can't just live by eating bread. You're going to be hungry again. It's not going to sustain you. You're going to feel empty. It's not going to do all that you would hope it would do for you. But he said... You can. Real life comes by feeding 
on every word of the Lord. That's Old Testament. Now, New Testament, Matthew 4, 4, in uh, <clears throat> King James Bible, it says, but he answered and said, the devil was tempting him. You remember, Jesus had fasted for 40 days and nights, and, and then he looked up there and he saw some stones. It was just the shape of little loaves of bread, and the devil tempted him. Oh, if you're the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus' response was what Deuteronomy said. He answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, you can try. You can try to live by bread alone. Well, if that ain't enough, I'll eat more and more. And all you're going to do is get chubby, okay? You're going to get chubby, but you cannot live by bread alone. It will not sustain you. It will not meet your every need. It won't get you through life the way you would hope it would. And Jesus is saying that. Man cannot live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man can live by every word. And that particular W-O-R-D in the Greek is rhema, which is different than another word, logos. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but he can live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Proceedeth is talking about a continuing function, kind of like a fountain uh, spring coming up out of the, the ground, a fountain. It's just, it, it, it's, it's been flowing in the past. It's flowing now, and it's going to continue to flow in the future. And that's what he's talking about. You can live by every word that proceedeth. This is continuing process. This, this living word that's coming out of the mouth of Almighty God. And to know the the voice of God is to know the will of God. You want to know God's will? Well, then you got to get to know God's voice. That's so important. So let me read to you again out of the New Living Translation, Matthew 4, 4. It says, but God, uh, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people need more, whole lot more. People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. And as I was telling you, there are two words in, in the uh, Greek that is W-O-R-D. You look them up in, in the original language, and it's logos, which just basically means when you're dealing with logos, it, it refers to a, an expression or articulation of thought, the embodiment, embodiment of a concept or of an idea. That's just like kind of like black ink on on white paper, you know. The word rhema refers to the living word, the life-giving word of God. So sometimes you're reading and just, you know, logos, black ink on white paper. Sometimes it's a living word. It's the kind of word that transforms and changes things, makes things happen, you know. And, and you don't know necessarily which one of those things are. But, but listen to what it says in Romans 10, 17. It says, yet faith... Faith, faith that moves mountains and faith that causes the impossible to be possible and faith that brings about miracles, yet faith comes, it cometh by hearing and hearing what? By the word. Let me tell you what that Greek W-O-R-D is. It's rhema. Faith comes by having the living word, the rhema. Faith comes by, by hearing the, the rhema that's full of living power. You know, li listening not only with our ears, but listening with our heart. And, and you can take a piece of logos, just black ink on white paper, and you go through it really quickly, but then you can chew on it. 
in, in its proper context and chew on it and meditate on it. And that piece of logos can become a rhema. You can go to a restaurant, pick out your steak over there, and it's kind of like logos, you know. It's over there and all and all. And you can order it, and they'll take it and cook it, and then they bring it to your plate there, and then you cut it up a little bit, and then you start chewing on it. Now it becomes yours. It becomes a part of you. It becomes hair and eyeball and ears and toenails and, and muscles and all that. It becomes alive in you as you've taken it in. So we can speed up that whole process and logos can become rhema if you meditate upon it. But he says, yet faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Hearing, when the word becomes rhema, faith comes and mountains move and miracles begin to, to take place place in our life. Job chapter 23 verse 12 it says I have not departed from his commands. He said I've not stopped hearing his word. That's what Job is saying right here. He says uh, God's word is my storehouse. It's my provision. It's my supply and and I continue to read it and and, and to quote it and to to, to sing it and to pray it and all. It's what he's saying. The essence is, I have not departed from the, the commandments. I have not depart, have not stopped taking his commandments into my life. I have not departed from his commands. But I have, what's that next word? But I have treasured, I have valued, I have cherished, I have loved his word. Oh, man, that's, that, that, that makes things different. That changes things. When a man or a woman treasures God's word, loves God's word, cherishes God's word. That's what he's talking about here. I have not departed from the commands, he tells us. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his word in my heart. I have not obeyed. I have not just only obeyed God's word, but I've treasured his word. Fallen in love with his word. I valued his word. Now let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between just obeying God and obeying God because you love him? Can you ever just be forced to obey? Someone saying, can I act this out for just a moment here? Can I have you stand up for me? Okay, sit down. I said, sit down. Did he really want to sit down right then? No. But did he sit down? Why? Can you be forced to obey? Thank you, sir. You forgive me? Okay. I'll try not to. Okay. You, you think all, all the guys who are behind bars are obeying because they want to be there? There's a difference. And some people talk about, well, I'll just obey what God wants me to do grudgingly. No, I ain't what we're talking about. We're talking about, I treasure, I value, I cherish, I love his word because it gives me instructions that helps me and helps all who I love and it brings great blessings to my life. And that's why I obey it, you know. Not because I'm forced to, you know, and that's what we're talking about right here. And, and, and Job, uh Job 23, 12, let me read to you in another translation. It says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have not 
uh, depart from the commands of his lips, but I've treasured the word of his mouth. I've treasured it in my heart more than my daily bread. And I really like the way it says it in the King James Bible. He says, I esteem and I treasure the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. Necessary food is not just my, the food that I eat because I enjoy eating. It's talking about after I fasted for 40 days, and if I don't eat, I'm going to die. And that food there is necessary for me to live. And he says, I treasure God's word more than my necessary food. I don't know if we can understand that or not. It's like, you got a choice? And I'm not even talking about necessary food. I'm just talking about our daily food now. It's like, well, I got a choice of eating a hamburger or having my Bible. Give me that hamburger, you know. Can I have ketchup and cheese and pickles and lettuce and all that stuff on too? We can so easily be distracted from God's word because I don't know if, if we treasure it like we should because we don't understand the transforming power and the faith it builds in us as we should understand those kinds of things. Anyhow, he says, I've not departed. I mean, I'm, I'm staying very close to it. I treasure, I value, I cherish his word more than my food, than my necessary food. And, and uh, <clears throat> if I was going to give away a gift today, let's say I've got a, a gold and a silver mine. It's already been investigated. It's worth millions of dollars. And all the gold and the silver is no more than about 10 foot deep. Would anybody here want it if I was going to give it away to somebody? Anybody take it? <laughs> Only six, seven people? Well, y'all can split it up then, right? Well, I just wanted you to understand, because the truth of it is, the rest of you are lying, you know? <laughs> Somebody's going to give you millions of dollars in gold and silver. You go, well, I don't, I don't have the strength. That... If you own millions of dollars, you can pay somebody to dig it out of the ground for you, okay? But listen to what the Bible says. Psalms 119, verse 72. Your law, your words... You know, is more valuable to me than, what's the next word? Millions in gold and silver. Can you understand that? Can you possibly imagine how the contents of this book could be more valuable than a, a, a gold and silver mine that is already proven to have millions of dollars? Can you fathom how in the world could they say that this is more important than that gold mine? That's what God's word says in those who recognize God's voice and they understand how to release the power of his word. They grasp it. They understand it because I would much rather have the God who made the gold and put it in the mines because if he made it and put it there, if I got him, I got everything. He's the almighty, the most high, and he can do anything. That's just the way it is. Listen to it in the Message Bible. Uh, in Psalms 119, verse 72, it says, Truth from your mouth. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. Having the truth of God's word become a frame of being alive in me is more important than striking it rich in a gold mine. So says the Message Bible. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not all people who sound religious, are really godly. Did you know that? Do you know people can sound very religious, but they're not godly at all? 
That's what the Bible says. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord. And you know what Lord means, right? When you, you're my Lord. It means you're in absolute control of every era of my life, and I am totally surrendered to you. But you can say you're my Lord and not mean that. He says, not all the people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue, here's where the rubber meets the road. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. Whether they treasure his word enough to obey, or are they just all talk? And they don't mean what they say. That's what he said. He says, the thing that makes the difference is those who obey because they love his word and they cherish him and they, they just they treasure and value him so much. They do what he says. You know, it's not like, okay, I'll obey, I'll, I'll obey you, God. That's not the way obedience is to God. It don't work that way. You see. Arita Loving, she's part of the Wycliffe Missionaries. Now, my mom, and, and I used to live with my mom and dad and uh, my brothers and sisters, and we lived about seven miles from Wycliffe Missionaries headquarters on the border of South Carolina and North Carolina. Over in Waxhaw, North Carolina was the headquarters. Anyhow, Arita Loving, Wycliffe Missionary, she was washing her breakfast dishes one morning when she saw Jimmy, her five-year-old neighbor, Jimmy, he was heading straight for the back porch of her house. And she had just finished painting the back porch handrails. And she was proud of her work. Come round to the front door, Jimmy, she shouted. There's wet paint on the porch rails. I'll be careful, Jimmy replied, not turning from his path. I'll be careful. No, Jimmy, don't come up the steps, Arita shouted. No, Jimmy, don't come up those steps. No one of Jimmy's tendency to mess things up. I'll be careful, he said again. By now, he was dangerously close to those handrails. Jimmy, stop, Arita shouted. I don't want carefulness. I want obedience. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but the prophet Samuel, he spoke to King Saul and God had told him to tell King Saul, you go into this particular nation, wipe all the evil, all the bad guys, and when you come back, don't leave a chicken. Don't leave a cow or a goat or a sheep. Don't leave any animal alive. That, that's just what happened back in the Old Testament under the law. And then King Saul came back into town, and Samuel is hearing all the and the quacks and the clucks and all these animals being brought back into the town. And he says, what is this that I'm hearing? And King Saul said, oh, the animals, their, their livestock was better than any we have ever seen in the world. It was better than even a lot of ours. And we just brought back the best stuff so we could offer it as a sacrifice to God because we haven't seen nothing better. And Samuel said, God said, Go and wipe it all out. And that's where Samuel said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than, Jimmy, be careful. That was what Jimmy was saying. I'll be careful. When God commands you to do something, go, 
It's okay, Lord. I'm going to do it anyhow, but I'll be careful. Is that what we say to God? When he gives us very clearly uh, guidance and, and wisdom for our life. Oh, I'm not going to obey you, God, but I'll be careful. And that's kind of what King Saul was doing. And that's why he was a rebel and he, he missed out on the greatest blessings of Almighty God because he was, he was a, you know what, I'm going to disobey, but we'll make up a sacrifice. We'll, we'll offer God uh, these, these wonderful animals that he told us to kill over there. We'll offer them to him as, as a sacrifice. And God says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me see here. Where was I at? <laughs> oh, we were talking about Jimmy. How often are we like Jimmy? Think about it just for a moment. I'll be careful, Lord. As I proceed with my own plans, I'll be careful. I know this is not your plans, Lord, but, but I'll be careful. That's a good way for failure, to be honest with you. It's a good way to make a mess. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching, this is Jesus talking, anyone who listens to my voice, if you know my voice and you're listening, I'm, I'm teaching you, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is, is wise. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. You obey me because you, 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 you treasure and value and cherish my word. You love it. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Whoops. Can I get you to pick out enough for me there? Sorry about that. All right. Yeah, he's put it there. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it there. Now, these are like handmade rocks, you know? We call them bricks. How many stones I have there? Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Because you hear what I say and you obey me, you're building your house on solid rock. It says in James chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word. And that word there is logos. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive, which that word means fool. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive or fool yourselves. Treasure it. Treasure it. Love it. Cherish it. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says and it's like building your house on solid rock. In God's word, when you, you, you hear it and you obey it, that's solid rock. That's what he's talking about here. Matthew chapter 7 verse 25 says, Though the rain comes, and it will, in torrents, and the floodwaters will rise, and they will, 
and the winds will beat against the house, and they will, that will happen. How many of y'all seen the rains and, and the winds and the floods? You've seen them. You've experienced that stuff. And when it comes, it won't collapse. Your house won't collapse because it is built on rock. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, let me see. I forgot This little piggy built his house out of straw. This is deep theological truth we're talking about here. This little piggy built his house out of sticks. This little piggy built his house out of brick. And the wolf will come. And he will come after us too. And I know... I read about this in my theology book when I was a kid. And the wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down. And the little piggies in there, they ran over here to their brother who built out of sticks and they were peeking out the windows. And the wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he blew their house down. And they all went over here running to their brother who built out of brick. And the wolf could not blow that house down. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he climbed up on top of the house and tried to do a Santa Claus check and come down the chimney, and them little piggies had wolf stew for dinner that night, you know. <laughs> but the Bible says there's going to be storms. There's going to be a lot of huffing and puffing and blowing against us. And if you're building your house out of straw, well, you hear what the Bible says. Well, I'll be careful. I'm going to do what I want to do. It feels good. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do my own plan. I'm not going to follow your plan, but I'll be careful. Your house is going to fall down. Your house is going to fall down. It might be a little bit better, but not much better. But only the men and women who hear what God's word says, and they they put it into practice, are more blessed than Jesus' mother was. Only those who hear it and act upon it are building their house and their life and their future on solid rock. And you can think, well, I don't really have to do what the Bible says. I'll just go on my own plan. I'll just be careful like little old Jimmy. It's not good enough. The wolf is going to come. And there will be consequences there really well. Anyhow, let me see. What verse was I at there? Well, let's pick up in verse 26, Matthew 7, 26. It says, but anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. You hear what God's word says and you ignore it. I'll be okay. I'll be careful. I'm not going to do your plan, God. I'm going to do my own, but I'll be careful. He says, you're building your house on what? 
on sand. Verse 27 says, and when the rain and the floods come, and they will, and the wind beats against the house, and it will, it will fall with a mighty crash. And when we say, well, I'm going to do, I'm, a, I'm a, a grown man, I'm a grown woman, I can do whatever I want to do. And I'll be careful. You cannot be careful when you ignore what Almighty God says. And that's what it says here in verse uh, 26, Matthew 7. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it, they don't treasure it, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand and probably out of straw and all those things, you know. There's a lady by the name of Beth Moore. You ever heard of her? And uh, she shared a little story about herself. Knoxville Airport, all were waiting to board planes. And she said, and I had the Bible on my lap, and I was very intent upon what I was doing. I had a marvelous morning with the Lord. I say that because I want to tell you, it is a scary thing to have the Spirit of God really working in you. You could end up doing some things you never would have done otherwise. Life in the spirit can be dangerous for a thousand reasons, not the least of which is your ego. I tried to keep from staring, but he was such a strange sight. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones, dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers and his shoulders looked like a coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands looked like tangled masses of veins and bones. And the strangest part of him was his hair and nails. Stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down past part of his back. His fingernails were long. They were clean, but strangely out of place for an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could. Discomfort burning my face as I tried to imagine what his story might have been. I found myself wondering if I just had a Howard Hughes sighting. And then I remembered reading somewhere that Howard Hughes is, is dead. So this man in the airport, he must be an imposter maybe. And maybe they would have cameras to see what I was going to do. This is just her mind going kind of wild. There I sat trying to concentrate on the word of God to keep from being concerned about a thin slice of humanity served on a wheelchair only a few seats from me. All the while my heart was growing more and more overwhelmed with, the feeling, with a feeling for him. Let's admit it, curiosity is a heap more comfortable than true concern. And suddenly I was awash with aching emotion for this bizarre looking old man. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall, and I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something drastic is bound to happen. And it may be embarrassing. And I immediately begin to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit. And I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh, no, God, please. No, I looked up at the ceiling as if I could stare straight through into the heavens. And I said, don't make me witness to this man, please. Not right here and now, please. I'll do anything. Put me on the same plane with him, but don't make me get up here and witness to this man in front of all these gawking passengers waiting on their planes, please, Lord. 
There I sat in these blue vinyl chairs begging his highness. Please don't make me witness to this man. Not now. I'll, I'll do it on the plane. And then I heard, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear. My heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts spun like a top. Do I witness to the man or brush his hair? No brainer. I looked straight up at the ceiling and said, God, as I live and breathe, I want you to know that I'm ready to witness to this man. I'm on this, Lord. I'm your girl. You've never seen a woman witness to a man faster in your life. What difference does it make if his hair is a mess, if he's not redeemed? I'm on him. I am going to witness to this man. Again, as clearly as I've ever heard an audible word, God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. That is not what I said, Beth. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. I looked up at God and I quipped. I don't, I don't have a hairbrush. It's in my suitcase under the plane. How am I going to suppose to brush his hair without a hairbrush? God was so insistent that I almost involuntarily begun to walk toward him as these thoughts came, you know, into my mind. I, I stumbled over his wheelchair, thinking I could use one of those myself right now. Even as I retell the story, my impulse quickens and I feel those same butterflies. I knelt down in front of the man and I asked as demurely as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He looked at me and said, What'd you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10. <laughs> Lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk louder than that. At this point, I took a deep breath and I blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the airport darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than the old man with the long lots. Face crimson, forehead breaking out in sweat. I watched him look up at me with absolute shock on his face and say, if you really want to, are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to. She's just thinking this. But God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about then. He pressed on my heart until I could utter the words, yes, sir, I would be pleased. But I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded, you know. And I went around to the back of that wheelchair, and I got on my hands and knees, and I unzipped the stranger's uh, old carry-on, hardly believing what I was doing, and I stood up and I started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean, but it was tangled and matted. I don't do many things well, but I must admit, I've had notable experience untangling knotted hair, mothering two little girls, like I've done with either Amanda or Melissa in such a condition. I began brushing at the very bottoms of the strands, remembering to take my time and not to pull. And a miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everybody else in the room disappeared. Seemed like it. 
There was no one alive for those moments except the old man and me. I brushed and brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of that hair. And I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt the kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe all my heart that for that few minutes, I felt a portion of the very love of God that he had overtaken my heart for a little while, like someone renting a room and making himself at home for a while. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew I, that they had to come from God. His hair was finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. And I slipped the brush back into his bag and I went around the chair to face him. And I got back down on my knees, put my hands on his knees. And I said, sir, do you know my Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. And then she thought to herself, well, that figures, you know. He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know her Savior, he said. And you see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months because I've had to have open heart surgery. And she's been too ill to come out and see me. And I was sitting here just thinking to myself, what a mess I must be. For my bride to see. Only, only God knows how often he allows us to be a part of a divine moment. When we're completely unaware of a significance. And this on the other hand was one of those rare encounters where I knew God had intervened in details. Only he could have known. It was a God moment. She said and I'll, I'll never forget it. Our time came to board, and we were not on the same plane. I was deeply ashamed of how I had acted earlier and would have been so proud to have accompanied him on his aircraft. I still had a few moments, and as I gathered my things to board, the airline hostess returned from the corridor, tears streaming down her own cheeks, and she said, that old man sitting on the plane, just sobbing. Because what you did, why did you do that? What made you do that? I said, do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing, you know. <laughs> and then she got to share Jesus with that lady. I learned something about God that day. He knows if you're exhausted because you're hungry, you're surfing in the wrong place or it is time to move on, but you feel too responsible to, to budge. He knows if you're hurting or feeling rejected. He knows if you're sick or drowning under the waves of temptation. Or he knows if you just need your hair brushed. He sees you as an individual. Tell him what your needs are. I got on my flight, sobs choking my throat, wondering how many opportunities just like that one had I missed along the way? All because I didn't want people to think that I was strange. God didn't send me to that old man. God sent that old man to me. You know, our time is, is up. But I'm telling you that God's voice can be known. 
You can know God's voice. And you can learn to recognize it. And you can be on the cutting edge of what God is doing in this world. And when we walk out of this building in a few moments, there's a world of weary, hurting people out there whose hearts are broken, who have absolutely no hope. And God just might speak a little something to you and me to nudge them a little closer to him or to give them a little bit of hope. And I just want to challenge you to be available, to witness if you want to, but maybe just to brush somebody's hair. That might be all he wants to do. An old man might just want to be cleaning himself up as he goes back after heart surgery and visits his wife who couldn't come because she's, she's bedridden in her own home. God can work in you and me if we're available, provided we don't say, I'm going to do it my own way. I'll be careful. Don't argue with him. He knows what's best, and he knows how to build a house on solid rock. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask your blessings on my brothers and sisters in this building, upstairs and downstairs, watching offline. Lord, bless each and every one of us and give us those ears that we can hear your voice and get to know you better and help us to begin to treasure and cherish and love your word and make time to read it and hear what you're saying to us, O oh Father. And may we grasp a hold of the rhema, of the living word, and may it transform us and change us on the inside to where we'll always be willing to act upon what you say so our house and our hope and our future would be built on solid rock. And Lord, when storms come our way, it will have no harmful effect upon us at all. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room and those who are watching online. And as we close right now, I just ask if you would say a brief prayer with me just to really commit ourselves afresh to God. Maybe you know Christ already, but would you give him the rest of your life? And those who don't know, would you declare your faith for the first time? Would you join me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. I thank you that he gave his life for me. And I'm willing now to give my life to you. Because I trust you. Father, help me to sit on the edge of my seat as I'm loving you. And I'm loving my neighbor as myself. I receive your forgiveness. Help me to share it with other people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 